Well, good morning, LifePoint. My name is Dustin. I'm a campus life pastor here at LifePoint Church in Westerville. So glad that you could spend your morning with us. Um, I am glad to be here. I know maybe some of you, you're just, you're just hoping God has a word for you today after yesterday. Uh, you know, just, just be thankful that our ultimate joy rests in the Lord and Jesus, not how a 20-year-old throws a football, right? Um, so uh, today we're wrapping up a series called Exiles, and we've been walking through the book of Daniel. Uh, and if you're just jumping in with us, that's cool. If, if you need a refresher, the Jewish people have been conquered by Babylon and their king, Ebuchadnezzar. And they've been taken back to Babylon and indoctrinated on what it means to be Babylonian. And some people have caved. Some people have buckled. And they, they're all about Babylon and, and their gods and, and their way of life. And some, though, although their address now says kingdom of Babylon, continue to live for the kingdom of God. We've looked at the truth that where you are in life does not dictate how you live your life. Faith is about how you live more than where you live. Faith, our faith is more about how we live more than where we live. And today we'll be in chapter six of Daniel. Uh, Daniel gets thrown into lions then. Heads up, did you know about that? Did you know that was coming? Uh, I mean, seriously, it's, it's like a, probably in the safely in the top three of the most famous Bible stories out there, right? Um, and that presents a challenge for us. Because it's so familiar, we miss out on what it actually is saying to us, what it means, what we take away. I mean, right now, if I ask you the question, how much does your life have in common with the life of Daniel? How much does your life have in common with getting thrown in the lion's den? What would you say? It surprised you, though. Think about it. Daniel lived out his faith in a culture that was at times combative towards his faith. He came with Jerusalem, probably with people who came in trying to cling to their faith, and, but over time made compromises in their faith. And I'm sure none of that was what Daniel saw and had hoped for or had dreamt of. Those are just two things. For you, my question for you and I today is how do you live out your faith when your life doesn't look like the way you want it? How do you live out your faith when your life does not look like the way you want it? Sometimes we tell ourselves, hey, I know my life doesn't look like the way it wants to now, but I'm going to look to the future. You know, yeah, that future faith that I want and that God wants for me, you know, I need my life to look like the way I want it to first before I actually step into that calling. You know, when my kids' lives are less hectic, when I actually have more margin, you know, when job slows down a little bit, when I get a little more freedom in my schedule, when we're not financially where we are right now, sometime in the future, that's when I'll step into that calling of my faith that God wants and has for my life. But Daniel cuts through that kind of thinking. His life shows that the calling to live out your faith isn't future-oriented only. It's now, even when your life doesn't look like you want it to. Is Daniel in the nation that he wants to be in? No. In fact, his is in ruins. Did Daniel get into the kind of college that he wanted to? No. He was forced to go to the Babylon State University, right? <laughs> That's where he was. He didn't have a choice. Does he have the kind of family he had always dreamed about? No. More than likely, when Daniel came into Babylon, he was castrated. The idea of a family forcibly taken from him. Does Daniel kind of have the boss? Does he have the kind of boss that he want? No. The kind of leader? No. None of this looks like probably what Daniel would have architected. And yet... Daniel has a vision for his faith that works, that grows, maybe even thrives, even when his life didn't look like the way he wanted it to. 
In Jeremiah 29, he gets this vision for his faith from God through the prophet Jeremiah. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. God is saying to Daniel through Jeremiah, Daniel, don't look to some future and miss that your present role, your present job, your present boss, your present time in history is your calling to live out your faith now. So do you have a vision for your life, for your faith to live out even when your life doesn't look like the way you want it? Does that seem abstract? At times, it can. When your life gets hectic and starts to veer off script, does faith get pushed to the margin? Kind of forgotten about? The good news is that God's word shows us how to take steps towards that becoming a reality. The life of Daniel helps us grow in this becoming more and more true. So just a couple of points to draw out as we walk through the book of Daniel chapter six. First is, how you live outwardly will reveal what you believe inwardly. How you live outwardly will reveal what you believe inside. Chapter six, verses one through five. Verse one, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So Darius, king of the Medo-Persian empire, has overthrown Babylon. That's where we are now in chapter six. And he's in charge. And probably, for stability's sake, he keeps a lot of the same higher-ups. He carries them over, Daniel included. And Daniel's about 80 years old when we read this in chapter 6. So these verses are just laying out his governmental structure, right? And so 120 satraps, don't get confused. Think, think state governors, right? So there's 120 satraps, and over them are three administrators. Daniel is one. Verse three, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they weren't able to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So Daniel is crushing it at work. Darius recognizes this and wants to promote him. And the other people who don't get the recognition, they get jealous. But I don't want us just to pull away that he worked with excellence. That's the surface. Underneath that, his faith was informing that outward display those outward actions. What was inside is being revealed. He chose to believe in God's vision for his faith that we talked about. That was in him, and he was incredibly faithful to that vision. God wanted him to deeply engage in the culture and people and be faithful. And Daniel was deeply engaging. When a culture was actually combative towards his faith, he didn't, he didn't withdraw, he didn't retreat. He still, he still leaned in, he advanced. He didn't separate, and he didn't pull away from the people of Babylon when they were starting talking about him or, or combative with him. He is deeply engaged, in fact, has worked himself into the very fabric of the nation that he's in. And he did all of that while remaining faithful. Verse four, they couldn't find any grounds for charges in his conduct. In a corrupt system with corrupt governmental officials that were his coworkers, no corruption in him. 
We see this every election cycle, don't we? Like, we, with this, this, this truth, we see it on broadcast all over the news. There's literally people who's their job, and they want to find dirt and broadcast it and sway opinions. You know, this person, they voted like this. This is what they stance. They didn't call their mother on their birthday. Who does that? You don't want them in public. You're like, leadership, they don't want anything. They're anything big or small, there's dirt, and they're going to find it, and they're going to let us know about it. Daniel is six decades into public service, and they got nothing. That's impressive. It is very difficult to maintain engaging with culture and people and being faithful to God every step of the way. That's a difficult balance to maintain. Many times there's a slow roll. Maybe, maybe if you've you felt this, where you start to engage, you start to engage, and you have that idea of doing this, but then over time, actually the culture and people start to influence you more than God. In Daniel 5, he's 80 years into his life. Verse 5, he's just as faithful as ever. They know what he's about. They know he's a man after God's own heart. He's not compromised in any way. The life of Daniel lived outwardly, revealed what he believed inwardly, that God wanted him to be deeply engaged and remain faithful. Hundreds of years later, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is looking at people who want to follow him, and he gives them a vision for their faith that is strikingly similar. Verse 11, chapter 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus is looking at people of faith and telling them, this is how you engage. This is my vision for your faith. Be salt, be light. And salt, then and now, is mainly used as a preservative, right? It gets worked into things that go bad, so they don't. Things that naturally are going to rot and decay, it's worked in to slow or stop the decay. And Jesus is saying, this world is broken. People are broken. People are far from God. Horrible things are happening. That's why I came. Every miracle I do, healing of the sick, letting the blind see, raising the dead, I'm pushing back this darkness, working myself into the decay. And if you, if you're going to follow after me, be salt and light, join in. Foreshadowing a day where eventually he will come back and make all the sad things untrue. Last week, I asked one of my seven-year-old twins, I said, what do you want to do when you grow up? She's seven. She does no concept of work or money even. Um, but she said, I want to work at church just like you, Daddy. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Uh, but thankfully, I've been you know, prepping for this message for a month. And I, I said, honey, did you know before I worked at church, I had a whole career. Out of college, I did something else completely different than working church, which all she knows, she's seven. I've worked in church for her whole life. She goes, oh. I said, yeah. God, of course, wants people to be faithful and engage with the world. That's what the church should be doing, and people should work at the church. But that's not it. That's not where it ends. Every teacher, every lawyer, every doctor, every person at every level of society, God wants people to be salt and light, engaging with the world and being faithful with him. And I'm looking at her, and she's like, oh, okay, and just runs away distracted. I'm like, ah, 
didn't land, but you know what? I can trust God with that. Um, if you're a Christian, your job now, the division you work in now, your coworkers now, the marriage as it is now, the hours in the day that you have now, you are salt and light and called to engage now. God has a vision for your faith. Do you believe it? Deeply engage and be faithful. There's a problem though. We don't have that kind of balance that Daniel has between those two things. Most of us lean towards disengaging and not engaging or compromising our faith and not being faithful. Very rarely do we maintain both. For those that lean towards disengaging or pulling away from people or culture as a whole, I don't think most of us find ourselves there because we go, oh, that's the vision you have for me, Jesus? I'm out. I, I just reject that flat out. I don't think we're not that bold. It's more nuanced. Maybe we get there by just going, man, you know what? I think that's for people, other people, that are more people people <laughs> to go and do, that are more equipped, that are more knowledgeable, that are more comfortable working themselves into those kind of scenarios. That's not the weight that I feel. I mean, there's no asterisks given after Jesus's vision, but we include those things as excuses. Man, it's just too risky. What happens if I say something? What happens if I do something? What happens, what happens if I get involved and my family suffers as a consequence? What if it's, it's just messy? People are messy. I, I get on YouTube from time to time. Uh, I'm sure I'm the only one. And uh, my algorithm, algorithms are weird. I, I like listening and watching this guy who reviews tools, just random tools. He, he, he professes faith. He's a believer. He, you know, he's, he's vocal about his faith. And I, I like watching it. He's out in the woods, random woods, just reviewing tools. And uh, one time he's like, you probably noticed the woods behind me are, are different. And I'm like, nope, um, but okay. He goes, well, my family and I, we've uh, been able to purchase some land in Montana because of your guys' viewership. Uh, we're just really concerned with where the world's going. And so we have bought a plot of land in the middle of nowhere. And now we're here just kind of hunkering down ready to weather the storm of whatever comes. And I get it. There are things in this world I don't like. I'm sure if I don't like it, I mean, what does God think? But we've been given a vision to deeply engage as salt and light from a savior who didn't look at our lives, by the way, and go, that's a hot mess, I'm out. Or the cross is too big of an inconvenience. And he's asking, he's given us the opportunity to join in. That's the vision from Jesus for our faith. And so on the other hand, maybe engaging is easy. You're like, dude, this salt stuff, easy. That's not my, that's not my temptation is to disengage. But maybe your temptation is to engage, but not be so visible about your faith because that makes people uncomfortable. Or maybe it offends somebody. Is it difficult for people to tell the difference between you and the world? I mean, Christianity doesn't have a monopoly on nice people, right? Would somebody just say, oh, you're a nice person? Or has anybody maybe said, you're a Christian? Or I didn't know you went to church. Maybe that highlights it. It's not the engaging side for you. It's the faithfulness to God while in the culture. Your temptation is to blend in so much so that culture is influencing your motivations more than God is. 
Jesus said it best. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Hey, this is all of us, right? You know, we're not the perfect example of fidelity to God. We don't perfectly live out this vision that Jesus has given us while remaining faithful. We all fall one way. What side do you fall? Good news is God's vision for our faith gives us a way to take a step forward and grow and to be more like Jesus. Verse, or the second point, what is true inwardly shapes how you respond outwardly. What is true inside will shape how you respond to stuff going on outside. And so the satraps and administrators, they come up with a plan, right? They attack Daniel's faith and go, hey, we got an idea. For the next 30 days, anybody that prays to anyone except Darius gets thrown into the lion's den. And they pitch it to Darius, and of course he loves it. He's like, yes, absolutely, I'll write it down so it can't be revoked. And they got him. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned about the decree that had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. So Daniel learns of this decree, right? That's obviously meant to get him. But what's on the table? Let's just talk a little about how he could have responded. He could have run however fast his 80-year-old legs could have carried him. He could have been like, six decades of public service, and now you're gonna come after me with this? I'm out, I quit, I'm gone, I'm running. He could have compromised, right? He could have said, you know what? It's only 30 days. God will forgive me. He understands. He could have feigned obedience, right? Like publicly, yeah, Darius, but inside, like, God, you know, I didn't mean it. Like outside, I put a mask on, and then when I get home, I take it off. God, God's okay with that. He could have fought back, right? He could have said, oh, you're gonna come after me? You're coming at me? I'm gonna bring your dirt up. I'm gonna attack your character to save myself. Some of those sound pretty good for us, but he did none of that. He didn't do any of this. When trouble came, what was inside of Daniel shaped his response. He did what he had done every day. He relied on God, he thanked God, spent time with God in prayer. In fact, that's what his accusers were banking on him doing. He was so reliable that this was the, they knew that this was the pattern of his life, that they would be able to catch him in it. It wasn't something he tried to kickstart once trouble showed its face. He had done it in the high moments when the promotion was on the horizon, on his knees, thanking God in prayer. And he did it now when the bottom seemed to be falling out. Past patterns will lay a foundation inside for us that will shape our responses to trouble. It's like Google autofill, right? Past patterns will fill in the blank of how we respond when trouble comes. So what's your autofill response to trouble? What is your autofill response to trouble in life? For some of us, it's fear. Trouble hits, and your mind immediately goes to, what if? What's going to happen? The unknown. It starts to steer your life and your thoughts and your behavior. What if I don't? What will they think? What's going to happen next? What What if I'm the only one? And when we're fearful, we start to feel isolated. Peace feels far from us. Joy, stolen. And it's difficult to be thankful, which is what Daniel is modeling for us. 
Fear is a powerful force. God knows that. That's why it's the most common commandment in Scripture, most repeated commandment in Scripture is don't be afraid. Is fear your autofill response to trouble? And some of us, faith is the natural pattern, but it's not a faith in God, it's a faith in ourselves. It's faith in ourselves. And this one's tricky. It's tricky because on the outside, what it does is it looks like bold faith. You know, it takes a stance of, I will not fail, I can overcome, which looks good. But when you start to peel back the layers, it's not built on a humble dependence on the Lord, it's built on self reliance, self sufficiency. And coming off the heels of last week, talking about pride and its devastation in Nebuchadnezzar's life, it's important for us to understand the difference and discern. And if you need help, the sign that you are operating on self-sufficiency is prayerlessness. The sign that you're operating in self-sufficiency is prayerlessness. Now, we all know about warning lights in cars, right? Now, we all have different relationships with those lights, I bet, throughout the room. I mean, let's take gas lights, for example. Is there anybody that actually fills up their car before the gas light pops on? People? No? There's a couple people. I'll ride with you. Um, anybody, once, a car, once the gas light pops on, you're like, okay, now I need to do it. Like, is that, that's usually my indicator. It's like, okay, I need to do that. Is there anybody who's like, you know, once the one mile left indicator pops on, you're like, that's a suggestion. It's, you know, we're fine. Um, but that usually gets you burned. I bet if that's you, you have been burned by that. I have been burned by that. And prayerlessness is the indicator light that your heart is running on self-reliance. Prayerlessness is the indicator light that your heart is running on self-reliance. See, a lot of people, sometimes I, I think, no, 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 it's self-discipline. That, that's what, how I get prayer. It's you know, because I'm not disciplined enough. No, no, no. The reason you're not praying is not the same reason you can't wake up early. The reason you're not praying is not the same reason you can't eat kale more often or go work out. That's a January 1st, New Year's resolution type stuff, right? Just well, I'll be more disciplined. The reason you're not praying is rooted in pride. Because deep down, you think, if I just, just dig deeper, I can do it. Some of you have been burned by that. Some of you are being burned by that now. You come in here and you're crushed by the challenges of parenting. You feel worn down by where your marriage is. You're a mess financially. You're hurt by a relationship that you just can't make work. An issue has come up in your health or the health of the loved one, and you are scared to death. Indicator light that there's a better way than self-reliance and faith in yourself, and it's faith in God, which is what Daniel modeled. The indicator light of a heart relied on God is prayerfulness. When trouble comes, I'm going to pin and trust in you, Lord, just like I've done every other day. I lay this at your feet too, just like I have everything else. And I can tell you from experience that when you're faced with life's most difficult troubles, there's a peacefulness that comes in prayer that you cannot find in a hobby like you can't find from a distraction. You can't find in a drink after work. You can't find in the company of anyone else except God. I'm just telling you. There's times where I've sought the Lord and he answered. Man, he just never fails. Could your current prayer life get you in trouble if you were Daniel? If you were in Daniel's shoes, 
with your current prayer life, would it get you in trouble? What's your default response to trouble? We have one. You have one. Is it fear? Faith in yourself? Or is it faith in the Lord? If that's not been, if prayerfulness and faith in God has not been your default response, good news. You can start a new pattern today. You can never get a busy signal. He's always eager to hear from his children. How do you do that? Where do we even start? Pray like Daniel in thankfulness. You have an infinite amount of reasons to be thankful. If you can just have your eyes open to see them and look around you, start there. We all need God's help in either engaging or being more faithful. Start there. Ask him for his, your help, for his help. We all need help in not relying on our autofill response being fear or faith in ourselves, but faith in him. Tell him about it. Ask him. Laying those patterns inside will shape your response when trouble comes. So last point, point three. Daniel points us to a different lion and a different salvation. So the satraps and administrators tell on Daniel, right? Oh, King Darius, Daniel's praying, Daniel's praying. And the king is distressed because he likes Daniel. But he says, man, I did have it in writing. I can't repeal it. And so they throw him in the pit. They roll a stone over it. And he's up all night, anxious. Is God going to save Daniel? Is, God's, is Daniel's God going to save Daniel? Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This chapter ends with a pagan king praising the living God for his signs and wonders. And we can't skip over the part about the families, right? The wives and children. I mean, that's not in most children's stories. Like, you open your kid's book to read to them at night. I mean, that's left out to save you on, you know, therapy costs. But it's describing what happened. It's not condoning it. It's describing what happened. And this principle is still true today. A lot of times, men make dumb decisions, evil decisions, ungodly decisions even, and their wives and children, their families suffer as a result of it. And that's a way we have to sit under, men. And as a good of an example as Daniel is, though, the moral, the takeaway of the story is not, hey, go be like Daniel. Have courage. And God will shut the mouths of your lions. 
Because if that's the case, if that's how you've read that, or maybe that's how it's been taught to you, you're probably a little bitter inside, if you're honest. Or there's a weak spot in your faith because you checked all the boxes. You did your part. You, you, you were faithful as you could. You had courage like Daniel, and a lion bit you. You got your arm ripped off. You got your face mauled. You, whatever Dan or whatever lion in, you got hurt, and you're left going, God, what the heck? Where were you? And you have bitterness. You have a spot in your faith that's a little weak. But that is not what this story means. It's not what it teaches us because you and I, we're not Daniel in the story. We are not blameless, incorruptible, free of idolatry, perfectly faithful. That's not who we are. If we want somebody to look to and relate to in the story, we're the Babylonians who trust in things other than God at times. We're the other Jewish people who came with good intentions on their faith but make compromises along the way. We're Darius who thinks we're the center of the world at times, right? That's who we are. We're broken. We're in need of a savior. We're not the perfect examples of fidelity. The point of Daniel is to point us to a different lion and a different salvation. Daniel was saved because of his faithfulness. We are saved in spite of our faithlessness but because of Jesus' perfect faithfulness. And on the cross, he offers us a way to be made right with him. We have a righteousness with God through his perfect obedience. And we have this now faith extended to us by grace, not a result of works. We didn't earn it, but Jesus' perfect work on the cross. We have this opportunity to be children of God. The Lion of Judah, who was even more innocent than Daniel, more faithful than Daniel, also falsely accused and sent to sentenced to death, like Daniel, by corrupt government officials, like Daniel, who also had a stone rolled over his pit, but was ripped to shreds for our sin. And because he took on the wrath for our sin on the cross, he offers us a different kind of salvation. The Old Testament was not primarily written to give us heroes to emulate, but a savior to adore. On the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22. Maybe you're familiar with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the rest of that psalm goes on to say that on the cross, Jesus was thrown to the lions of judgment, which circled him, taunted him, and then tore him apart. Sally Lloyd-Jones has this quote, says, Jesus was left in the blackness, utterly alone and abandoned by God, suffering the fate that we, the guilty ones, deserved, but God did not shut the mouths of Jesus' lions like he did Daniel's. He let them tear him apart. His body was left entombed in the icy grip of death for three days before the angel finally came to roll away his stone. And see, here's the thing. I know that, we know that if we put our faith in God and know that he has taken all of the judgment for our sin, and like God's word said, now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, that means that whatever I'm going through now, whatever you're going through now, I know God is with me, standing next to me, beside me, because anything that would have turned God against me, Jesus has removed on the cross. And if God is for me, then who can be against me? If the Lord is our strength and our shield, my light, my salvation, whom shall we be afraid of? Like the other psalm says, you can walk through the valley of shadow of death and we'll not fear evil because we're comforted by his presence. Knowing that Jesus, knowing that the Jesus whom Daniel's life points to is with me does give me courage like Daniel. So I am thankful in scripture for examples like Daniel, 
but my worship belongs to him. Daniel points to a greater lion and a better salvation. Daniel eventually would die. He got out of the pit, but he would eventually die. But Jesus defeated death. One day Daniel will get out of his tomb, just like Jesus did, but he'll go to be with Jesus. And here's what I want us to know. Jesus saves. Jesus Christ stops the mouths of lions. Jesus Christ is bigger than political parties. He's bigger than corrupt, corrupt government laws. Jesus Christ has conquered death. Jesus can raise the dead. Jesus Christ is a king with a kingdom, and he's coming again to establish his kingdom. He's gonna call all his children of faith from their pit to be in his palace. Man, what a king. What a savior, what a lion. If you've not made the decision to follow Jesus, what's stopping you? There's no place for self-reliance in the kingdom of God because the only door that we enter in is through Jesus and that's a gift that he gives us. He gave us his life. There's no place for self-reliance but at the same time, you are more loved and adored than you could ever hope for because the king of kings laid down his life for you and he wants to be in relationship with you. So if you want to make a decision, we have our Next Steps team in the back that would love to talk to you about taking your first steps of faith. But if I could, could I pray for us just to close out our time? Lord, I confess, I fall short of the example of Daniel who lived as faithful as he could the vision that you had for his faith to engage deeply while remaining faithful. God, I, I fall short. God, we fall short. Help us as a church to be salt and light, to engage deeply, and to never, ever make compromises in our faith. But God, we confess, Jesus, we need your forgiveness. Because if we just try to dig down deep and rely on ourselves to do that, God, we'll never get there we'll be left discouraged and more empty than before. But God, if we look to what you've done for us on the cross and are so, so swell up with love and adoration and worship for you, maybe then we have a chance to actually take steps in growing and actually willfully engaging in the mission that you've called us to while remaining incredibly faithful to you. God, so help us as a church. God, help us as your children to engage in the spaces that you have for us, that you have us in right now. And let your love for us be the motivation for our faithfulness to you. God, we love you. There is no other name under heaven and earth in which man must be saved. God, you have called us to where you have us. God, would you help us? Would you grow us in our love and affection for you, God? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.